0: Need a high end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look. Be your own interior designer with big design, small budget. Here's your host, Betsy Helmuth. I can feel it. Spring is in the air and it is bringing me out of my winter funk. I am one of those people for whom lighting and temperature and season has a huge impact on my mood. And I am never happier than when summer is here. So while spring does not give me quite the same spring in my step, because oftentimes the days are cold, unpredictable, windy, and I can't be on the beach, it does make me happy because I know summer is around the corner. So guys, I know you're telling me, Betsy, it is not spring yet, but the groundhog has given me hope and we are so close to March, I can taste it and I am ready to start thinking and talking about spring, whether I'm designing or just podcasting with you. Well, lots has been going on in the mailbag, so I can't wait to dive into these questions. And without further ado, let's do this. My first question, and it's actually more like a series of questions. Hold on, I'm trying to find out who it's from. Hold on. I see the email. I see the pictures. I just don't see the signature. Oh, well, we'll make this from anonymous. How's that? Very exciting. All right, this question comes from anonymous, and I'm sure I could look their name up if they were in my mailbag. I just don't see it in the signature. And you know who you are. You know who you are. All right. So, my anonymous writer writes Betsy, I love your podcast. You have been helping me decorate our house over the last two years. Don't mind the white. I'm trying to branch out with more color slowly, and I've saved up all my questions for you today. Our inspiration piece, hopefully it is obvious, is a giant print of a photo that I took from Iceland. It features blue, yellow, and orange. The office has a little teal from the photo from Banff that I took. See the photos I've attached. I have three questions. We converted our dining room into an office since we never use it. Our dining table is rectilinear and the chairs are the last remnants of our IKEA furniture. I just keep worrying about my newborn and toddler running into and hitting those corners. I have bought so many different corner covers and none of them will stick. I have layers of masking tape on the corners that now serve as makeshift covers. What do you think of a round dining table? I'm not sure of the practicality of it. Do they end up using more space? Or would it be a nice break from all of the square and rectilinear shapes we have around? And since we are open to changing the table and chairs within the next year or so, do you have any texture suggestions for the table and chairs to break up the white space? All right, I'm going to get to your first question first, and then we'll dive into the other ones because this has given me enough to chew on for a couple of minutes. Now the size of your dining table and the shape is completely determined by the space that it's in now space doesn't just mean dining room because very few of us have a room that is separated by four walls in which we put our dining table with now the open concept trend being all the rage for all the rage excuse me for a couple of decades now We don't always have walls defining our dining zone. Rather, it's an open space that's fluid. But there is still a space for the dining table, which is typically defined by some walls and some walkways. It's typically clear where the dining table is going and what parameters it has based on where those walkways are naturally occurring. If your space is rectilinear, be it a room or be it that zone I just discussed, it needs a rectilinear or oval table. If your dining zone or room is square, it needs a round table. That's the way it goes. It's not based on preference. It's not based on look or even the table you find that you love. It's based on the shape of the zone or room. I will tell you, even though I can't tell from these pictures precisely, I will tell you generally that 80% of you are going to have a rectilinear dining space. It's very rare. 20% of the time, my clients will have a square dining space. And in that case, of course, it will call for that circular table. A circular table can have extension leaves. A circular table can be quite large, but you're going to be much more limited in style you're going to be much more limited in price point. It's harder to find a circular table. Rectilinear tables are a dime a dozen. And I don't mean that literally. <laughs> because if you find a dining table that costs you a dime, keep me posted. But um, especially a dime for a dozen, right? Okay. So. Rectilinear tables are most often called for, and I hate baby bumpers. I hate the foam ones. You know, when I was a new mom, I thought I had to have those. I thought my kids would like die if I didn't cover every corner with those hideous baby bumpers. And then of course, I realized that my kids just love to pick them off anyway. And so what I was left with was a gluey, sticky mess that was very hard to get off and had potentially ruined my furniture. I hate them. They do make rectilinear tables that have rounded edges. Speaking of hard to find, those can be very challenging to find. Those are most often found in a mid-century modern type style. I think they have some at West Elm. I think they have some at article.com. I know Ikea had one for a hot minute. And there are some other places, but it can be hard to specify that you want a rounded corner rectilinear table, especially if you have other requirements, say that you need it to extend or something like that. That can really be a needle in a haystack moment. However, it could be really worth it for you because it will better fit the space and it will help you to sleep at night. And maybe also during the day when those toddlers are bopping around. I myself got a dining table that does have somewhat rounded edges at Pier 1. And it is that rectilinear shape that 80% of the free world needs to have. But the rounded edges do make me feel just a little bit better. Unfortunately, that one is no longer in stock, which is why I didn't point you in that direction. But um, I would say even as my kids are now older, they're still running around the room. My son does laps around the dinner table when he finished his meal, like victory laps. I don't know. And I'm so relieved that I don't have to worry about pointy edges. I would avoid at all costs glass Unless you are meticulous, glass is not a good idea for anyone, whether you have children or not, because it gets fingerprints. I know you're not supposed to put your elbows on the table, but I do. And when I do, you know, it leaves those marks. It's uncomfortable. Of course, glass tends to have sharp edges. So that's a texture you can avoid, right? Um, And one other texture that you should avoid, because this room is really got a lot of white, which you already pointed out to me, but of course is visually apparent from these pictures, is you want to avoid doing any more white. We're looking for contrast. And I can see that you have used some wood tones in the other room with the legs of the armchairs, things like that. You'd want to use a similar mid-tone wood color for this dining table. And of course, a wood dining table is going to be the easiest to find. There are the most options in a wood tone. That should be no problem and should make it a little bit easier to find that rounded, rectilinear shape if that is indeed what you need. Like I said, I can't completely tell from this angle if the dining area is rectilinear or square, but now you know what to do in either case. So let me get to your next question. Next question is... We did our office recently. We kept an old gray 8x10 rug, which I do want to swap out. I like the orientation of it, but I know most of the floor should be covered. Do you think we should get a full-size rug for the whole room or another one that's a similar size? So I don't know where you heard that the whole floor should be covered, but that is not what I believe. An area rug defines an area. So often in an office, you will see a sitting area because maybe it's a fold-out couch, right? That also doubles as a guest room. In that case, you can just have a rug anchoring that sofa area and you don't need the rug under your desk area. The one requirement I do have for a rug in an office is that it is, if it's going to be anywhere near the desk, in other words, if when I push out my chair from the desk I'm going to be hitting a rug, then I need to make sure that that rug is fully under my desk. Because if you do a rug that's just you know right after your desk, say an inch away from where your desk ends, your chair is going to be constantly half off, half off that rug. And it is going to be so annoying when you push out to be bubbling up your rug or scooching your rug every time. And also, you don't want that rug to be half under your desk because when you do fully tuck your desk chair it might get caught on the edge of the rug so my recommendation is that you push that rug all the way under all four legs of the desk but you don't have to have a rug under the desk right because if you do and you have a wheelie chair you're going to need a very low pile rug my favorite types of low pile rugs under desks in this scenario would be the floor squares f-l-o-r.com The reason is because they come in a lot of different pile heights, but almost all of them are low. They have great textures, but additionally, I can build my own size of rug. Knowing that I have to get a rug that's fully under my desk will mean that I have to get a very specific size that may not actually exist, or it may cover too much of my floor. But with the FLOR.com rug system, I can make the rug to my specifications and tailor it to my desk area. And I do like to leave 30 to 36 inches after the desk for me to pull out my chair with ease. I hope that helped make it clearer about what you need to do in your office situation. Um, But don't feel that you need to make it cover the whole area because otherwise, you might as well have gotten wall-to-wall carpeting, right? And one other quick note is that a lot of my clients say, Betsy, ugh, after all your discussion of a rug under the desk, that is the last thing I want. I do not want to have to deal with all that measuring. But they have a wheelie chair, and the wheelie chair will often gouge or mar the wood flooring underneath it. You may find that you actually need some kind of rug under there, and I never, ever Ever want you to use one of those plastic mats that you get at Staples or Office Depot? This is not a good look. All right, I hope that helped. And now your third question. Our girls will share a room as long as they can. Our house is spacious, but the third bedroom is tiny and it does not get much light. So I'm thinking of how to arrange two cribs or two beds once the newborn is in her own crib in a few months. They are a year and a half apart, so I want to keep the tent for them to play in, and I want to keep the large chair that we all cuddle up on, but I also want to maximize floor space for play what size beds do you recommend for shared rooms do you ever recommend bunk beds once they're older are these kind of old school already how do i organize the beds and dressers without making it clunky So for those of you who have worked with me before, you know that I am very systematic about a floor plan. I have a very specific way that I work. It's called our fun and exciting floor plan game, and I never deviate from it. So I never just speak off the cuff of exactly what you should do with your floor plan. But I can tell you what not to do. I can also tell you my feelings on these beds. But the reason that I'm not going to jump into creating that specific floor plan is not because I'm trying to be coy. It's because I always try every possible option. I always leave no stone unturned. I like to make sure that I've done my due diligence before we lock in the layout. Because if you don't consider every possible option, well, you may want to grow or shift this room in time and all of a sudden things may not work out. Or you may always be wondering, hey, Betsy, what if we had put those beds on the other side? What would that do for the room so i like to know what that would do by toying with all the variations in this case i can give you some clear parameters I love bunk beds. I don't personally feel that they're old school and a lot of my clients, especially in urban environments, are completely open to that because it maximizes that open area to play. When the two beds are stacked, you essentially gain a 45 by 75 inch patch of space that now you can use for other things, be they desks or tents or cozy armchairs, right? I think bunk beds are great. Here are some problems with bunk beds. Not every kid likes to be on top right? And that can lead to fights. That can lead to people feeling uncomfortable up there and then wanting to sleep down on the bottom. Additionally, not every kid wants to be on the bottom. Some kids love adventure. Some kids fight to be on top. So you really have to have two kids who are compatible in that way, where one is open and doesn't feel like they got the short end of the stick by being on the top or the bottom. They also have to be of a certain age. My daughter was four when I got her a loft bed, and underneath the loft bed was not a sibling, but it was a place to play. And I would say that four, she's mildly adventurous, mildly, you know, into danger. Four was the very start of when she would go to the top of the bunk bed and even then she felt a little uncomfortable so we got one of those bunk bed tents over the top so that way she felt slightly more enclosed um i think five is really that sweet spot when they're loving to climb up there and then i think once they hit around 11 12 the bunk bed is over right? When a kid is in high school, very rarely do they want to be sleeping on the top bunk still. Now this is just what I have found from working with my clients and from having children myself and then also from growing up with a bunk bed all the way to college. I remember like being done with the top bunk after say junior high. So there we go. That's that general wash. Um, I also think, you know, you can put the two beds in lots of different arrangements, if you did want to just have two twin beds, and of course they do make those bunk beds that can then separate into two twin beds, should you want to divide them into different rooms later but not want to buy them new beds. One thing that does bother me, and this is not a question you asked, this is just a riff I'm going to go off on is when people say, Betsy, you know, I'm buying a bed. I want this to last my kid forever. My husband said to me when we bought our kids beds, he said, I had the same bed from kindergarten to college. Good for you, dude good for you. Nowadays, beds can be very affordable. My favorite places to shop for beds are typically Wayfair and Overstock. If you need like a good quality bunk bed, you might need to splurge into a pottery barn. But beds are so affordable that my daughter has been in our current space for four years and she has had four different beds just because she's had different whims and we've wanted to change her decor. And The loft bed from Ikea cost me 150 bucks, and then we changed it out when she decided she wanted that down in the basement as a play zone. And now we have a day bed with a trundle. It's just you don't have to get locked in to what you do now as being what's going to last for You know, the next 15 years. That's just not the case in this landscape, right? We moved her twin bed when we first moved in. Now it's in the guest room. So things can evolve, things can change, and also things look much more sophisticated than they used to. So, like I said, I just moved my daughter's twin bed to the guest room, and it works beautifully there, and it does not look juvenile. Don't think of this arrangement or these furniture pieces as being the be-all, end-all. A kid's room is in flux based on who they are, who they want to be, and what they're into. And the more you can be malleable with that, the more they're going to feel like they can express themselves and the more that room is going to work out for them long term. My son, on the other hand, has had his same bedroom furniture for all four years. He never feels the need to change it. However… He has changed his wall decals four times. We've had Pokemon. We've had Thomas the Train. We've had Star Wars. That got too scary. And now we're on to the next thing. It's nice to let them inform you. The one other thing I will discuss when creating this layout is making sure, no matter which evolution they take or no matter what pieces you're folding in, that you're thinking about balance in the room. So if the bunk bed is on the right-hand side, well, that's a very big visual element. On the left-hand side, we're going to need to balance out the room with, say, that long, low dresser, or that oversized chair, or that tall tent. You always want to be thinking about balance so that the weight of the room, and by weight, I mean visual weight, is dispersed around. Now, this, of course, is not just for a kid's room. This is for any room in your home. Look at your room. And think of the items in terms of their bulk, their weight, their height, and make sure that that bulk and weight and height is also evident or represented in other areas of the room. So that way, one area of the room doesn't start to feel heavy, while the other area of the room feels empty. So that's something to consider as you're building this floor plan. And now it's time for a quick commercial break. things that will help you to style your own space or help out with other spaces. Additionally, with the pack of three classes, you get an autographed copy of my book, Affordable Interior Design. You get all of that for only $99. Once again, that's the three online classes as well as the book for only $99. You just go to affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes to buy your bundle today. And if one of those classes sounded intriguing, but maybe you already have my book or some of the other topics are not of interest, you can buy the classes individually at that site as well. Each class is $40. So head over to affordableinteriordesign.com classes to get your bundle or your online class today. I have a question that came from Susan. Susan writes, Betsy, I have read your book, which led me to your podcast, and I love it. I have a question, but not a design question, so here goes. You mentioned designing a space for a man who felt more at home at Starbucks. You said you gave him a design plan and you hoped he followed it. Sometimes you mention before and after pictures of your designs. Do you not always work together with the client, picking pieces, painting, and seeing it through to completion? Just wondering, Susan. I don't know if you've seen the packages on my website, Susan. Affordableinteriordesign.com. But we do work in a very different way. The difficult part of interior design is the execution. Is getting the items, taking them out of the box, finding somebody to assemble them, realizing that once you assembled it, it's missing a piece, calling overstock, asking them to resend you that piece that was missing, calling the handyman back, having him come to actually put it in place. That's just regarding one piece, right? This can happen in a room that needs 30 pieces time and time again this is where the time suck is that is why designers charge a premium because actually implementing the design challenge, the design plan excuse me is filled with micro challenges something arrives broken something arrives missing a piece something doesn't arrive at all where is it i have to go back with the handyman another day for just that piece we hang a picture in the wall, and there's a stud there, and it's very hard to hang, and then there's something obstructing, and oh my goodness. It's not easy. The easy part is creating the layout on a floor planner. The easy part is finding all the items that fit the client's budget. The easy part is presenting that plan to them and making sure that they love the items. That is the easy part. And I'm speaking from an interior designer, but for my clients, Those parts I just mentioned, those are the challenging parts. They really couldn't find the items. They really don't know what feels cohesive. They don't know where to get the best deals and the best quality for their money. And they will really want – that help. But the execution help, well, they might do it over time. They might not want to buy everything at once or even have the budget to buy everything at once. They might have a very handy husband or a very handy girlfriend who could help them. right? They might have neighbors who are willing to come over and pitch in for a box of wine. They don't mind executing the designs and that's how we can keep it affordable. We can whip up that design plan that's tailored to their space and budget, but they're going to see it through and they're going to call Ikea when their Besta unit is missing its door. Oh my God, that's an hour of my life. I'll never get back. That is why we do not have a ton of before and after pictures on our website because our clients are actually executing our design vision. We have a ton of mood boards, we have a ton of floor plans, but they take those and run with them. And so often, they will do a beautiful job. In fact, most of the time, we get results that take our breath away when they send us their after pictures via email. But also so often, they haven't executed it exactly how we want. It's just like… It's just like, I mean, this is a really bad, okay, okay, this is a better analogy. I've just thought of a better analogy because I am binge watching old episodes of Top Chef because I just need more Top Chef in my life. And of course, the new season is rocking my world, but the old seasons are gold and I can't actually remember what happened. So it's like every episode is fresh to me. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, So it's like a recipe, right? Emeril Lagasse hands you a recipe. And you're going to cook that, but it's not going to taste exactly like emeralds. Well, I'm going to create a design plan. And I'm going to hand it to you. And you're going to execute it. But it's not going to look exactly magazine ready. So those before and afters that you have seen on our website, those projects were micromanaged by us. We went in and styled every book. We went in and made all the beds. We fluffed every pillow. We bought the flowers. And that takes place with our overhaul package, our premium package that is pricey. That is more expensive, and that one would not naturally associate with being super affordable or economical for everyone. And we do do a lot of those packages. I'm working on three of them right now: Scarsdale, Chelsea, and uh, oh, Central Park South. But um, but anyway, those are the ones where we get the good pictures. Those are the ones where Emeril baked his whatever he baked, and he made his jambalaya, and it's. Blowing your mind, right? And that's why people pay that premium. But Susan, I'm glad you asked. And I'm gonna be sharing lots more of my business of interior design secrets um, on a future podcast. So, guys, if you have business questions, if you're thinking about being an interior designer or just wondering how we work, just curious, uh, send them to Betsy at affordableinteriordesign.com because I've been getting a lot of these questions and I think I have enough that I could devote an entire episode to them. Guys, it has been such a pleasure talking to you. You know I love hanging out with you every week. So don't hesitate. Send me pictures. Send me questions. And if you are missing us during the week, which I'm sure you are, there are ways to get more exciting content. You can head to our Facebook page, Affordable Interior Design. You can head to our Instagram affordable interior design we update those every single day with fresh content fresh pictures fresh projects we're working on and then the other thing you can do is you can become a premium member of the podcast in fact i'm going to hop right off right now and record my bonus episode And you can find out more information on how to become a premium member and get access to over 50 bonus episodes that cover a huge range of topics, from trends for 2019 to my personal design diary of projects I'm working on right now. And I will catch you next week. Bye. You've asked for it and we have answered the call. Bye.